Thank you for listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name is William, and I'm the executive pastor here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee, and our heart is to reach the city by loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We recently moved into a new church home where we can better meet the needs of our growing church with a bigger sanctuary, lobby, and expanded kids' wing. We love to have you join us as we gather each Sunday at 9, 15, 11, and 5 p.m. Please join us in praying for Tallahassee, and if you would like to make a financial contribution, learn more about DCC, or contact us, please visit downtowncommunitychurch.com, and we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. My people, well, I just want to say welcome uh, to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben, by the way. I'm the uh, lead senior, whatever, founding pastor here. There's a couple of us that are around, and we just want to say thank you so much for being here. Um, by a couple of us, I mean a couple of us that are pastors that are around, and we just, if there's anything that we can do for you um, after the service, there's what well, we'd love to pray for you, um, get you connected into groups, into community, into serving. Um, it's our goal that we don't just simply fill rows, and what rows are wonderful, and it's inspirational, but our hope is that um, you grow in your faith and your relationship with Jesus. So we're so thankful that you're here. Here. Uh, I also want to say that as a church, our official stance is we will do whatever it takes, um, sackcloth, ashes, weeping, mourning, whatever it takes to win another football game. Um, and so we just, man, like Old Testament, we're going for it. Just whatever, God, be merciful on us, oh, good and gracious God. You know, whatever we did, we're repentant. So... Um, Anyways, we're in the series where we're going through the book of Galatians, and what's interesting about um, this series is Paul is going through and spending lots of time clarifying what is uh, this word that's often used in the church world, which is the gospel. We put a definition to it week one, which is God's substitutionary rescue um, for our salvation. God's substitutionary, he went in our place to rescue us because we needed rescue, we can't save ourselves um, to give us salvation, to make us right with him, to spend eternity with him and for our time here on planet Earth, that we would have the Holy Spirit living and moving and breathing inside of us. And what's interesting is as many of us are Christians, this book was written to Christians. And I think the reason why wasn't just because Christians, you know, need to be reminded of the basics or the fundamentals. It's because what Paul's central idea was, this was the central point and everything in Christianity emanates from this. Now that's a little bit different and distinctive in terms of religion because in many religions there is a step one and there's a step two and a step three and a step four and a step five and a step six and and here's maybe what you've experienced in the religious world, possibly even the church world, is that you take step one and then it just gets really weird after that. You know like the first time you meet with somebody, first time you talk with somebody, they tell you some ideas and they're just kind of good, general, love people, love God and you know most people aren't going to disagree with that like hate people, hate God, you know there's a God, we don't really want to say that. So you know I agree with that and then it's just you know about two weeks in or two months in or two years in there's just like secret little tidbit of information you're like do adults really think that? You know, I mean, good grief, that's just so weird. In fact, for some of you, that's your thought about Christianity is, you know, 2,000 years ago, a guy died and we've got some ancient documents and you're going to base your entire salvific experience and ideological and theological worldview on a couple of documents? I mean, that just sounds crazy, which is a whole different sermon for a whole different day. But all that to say is that when it comes to Christianity, the gospel This story of God so loving the world, he sent his only son not to condemn us, but to save us, to make us reconciled with him, because inside of me there is sinfulness. I am fundamentally incompatible with God. That sinfulness is not this like huge accusation, you're sinful and you're sinful. It's like Oprah, but in a negative way, you know, and you're a, you know, (laughs) you're a liar, you're a, you know, adulterer, you're all going to hell, you know. Anyways, 
The idea is that we all are sinful. And because of our sin, it makes us incompatible with a holy God. But God saw that, did not condemn us for it, but sent his son to die so that we could be covered and be compatible. Our sins could be forgiven. When God sees us, he now sees Christ. And that's kind of the beginnings of the gospel. But everything that we do from here on out revolves around that idea. In fact, what Paul's going to talk about today in the book of Galatians is really interesting because what we tend to think, again, is you get that, all right, let's move on to part number two. Let's move on to theology. Let's move on to behavior modification. Let's move on to X, Y, and Z. What Paul's going to talk about is there are implications of our understanding and alignment with the gospel that play out in the life of every single believer every single day that it's not something that we move on from it's something that we are continually coming in alignment with now to give you context for what we're going to talk about today there was in their day what paul's writing to this letter of galatia which is basically a big state that he's writing to and as he's writing to this there are two distinct groups there's the jews and there's the Gentiles or the Greeks, the Jews and then all the other people. The Jews had the entire history of God. The Jews had all of the Abrahams and Isaacs. The Jews had the law. They had all the, you know, the rules and the moralistic. They had all the covenants. They had all those things. They had you know, the guy who was, my parents went to church and my grandparents went to church and my great-granddaddy was a pastor and my great-great-granddaddy was a pastor and you know, on and on. They had the entire genealogy. On the other side, there was the Gentiles. And the Gentiles had no formal sense of this Judeo-Christian monotheistic God. They had lots of God in lots of places and lots of spaces. And when those two groups came together, that people from each group came to a belief in Jesus, that Jesus was now our salvation. Jesus, as we place our faith, our hope, and our trust in him. There was a clashing of theology. Because all the Jews brought their thoughts into it, and all the Gentiles brought their thoughts into it. But what was interesting was it was more than that. That's what we've talked about a number of times so far. But there was more than that. They brought what was to them a very literal sense of different ethnicities together. Their entire life, the Jewish folk had been taught that because they were partakers in the law, because they had the promises of God, because they had the prophets, because they had the morality, and because they were into the covenantal relationship with God via the Old Testament from their grandfathers and forefathers. They thought and they felt like they had a sense of superiority to the Gentiles. They thought because of who I am, and they had in fact been taught this, but because of your national identity, you are better than that group of people. Now, Paul's going to write to clarify this. But before we go into this, there's a lot of us, you know, that kind of can hit on some cultural hot topics, and we think, well, that's not me, you know, I don't necessarily do that. So let me just kind of tell you ways that we all do this. Because we all, though we might not do it in the exact same way, have ways that we identify with ourselves in the same way that what Paul's going to address here is when Peter walked to this place, Peter showed up, and Peter was basically acting like a hypocritical racist. Now, you're probably not going to define yourself that way. I'm not, probably not going to define myself one way. And my, joke, my goal is not to con- convince you that you're a hypocritical racist, by the way. But here's what I want to do. I just want to show us that we all have this self-serving tendency, this self-slanted uh, tendency. So here's, let me give you a couple of examples. This is why, um, as a Florida State fan, uh, we, we can look at every other fan base that would even consider themselves rivals. Um, and we can explain a way why they're not as good as we are, even if it's not in football anymore. You know, this is why... 
you know, everybody who goes for the University of Florida is either super nerdy or wear jean shorts, you know? It's like only two categories of Gator fans. If you're outside of that, then you're probably not a real Gator fan, okay? It's only the only two. This is why if you go for Miami, one, we would love for you to attend a different church, but if you go for the University of, if you go for that, just being honest. Anyways, you can give here. We're not saying you can't give. You just go, don't go here. Anyway, don't podcast this. So, this is why if you go for the University of Miami, <laughs> in fact, I heard some guy as I was walking through college town, there was a dude yelling, scoreboard, and I'm like, this, look at the last seven years of scoreboards. Anyways, this is why the, the first guy, as soon as I started yelling, somebody yelled back, and I, and I love this, he just said, well, you don't go there, and I'm like, amen, you know, that's what I'm talking about, my people. This is why you know, University of Miami fans are not really fans. They're just kind of fair weather fans. They just like to win. But when they don't win, they just don't go to games because they didn't even go to the school. This is why, this is why Alabama fans, right, the all, all Alabama fans, all they do is wear their hair the exact same way and marry their sister. You know what I mean? It's every Alabama fan. If you're in here, you're an Alabama fan, hey, we love you, but just saying. Now, this is the same reason why, by the way, everyone who's smarter than you is nerdy and has no social life, and everyone who's not as smart as you just seems so dumb. This is why, for many of us, let me just, let me just, let me just say this. For those of you guys who you've spent some time traveling abroad, you maybe spent more than like a weekend there, you spent a few weeks, a few months, a few years perhaps somewhere else, and you went and you experienced for the first time a different culture, perhaps a culture that took more vacation than our culture does. Perhaps you experienced for the first time you went to a place where it wasn't just go, 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 get stuff done, get stuff done, get stuff done. Don't have time for friends, don't have time for family, don't have time for community. And you sat there and you kind of liked it. For the first time you went to a restaurant, and if you haven't been to Europe, then you probably aren't familiar with this, but in Europe they do this interesting thing. The waiters and the waitresses don't interrupt you. It's crazy. They'll just kind of wait on the periphery. And you can sit there for hours if you don't ask for a check. And you just kind of raise your hand and they come up to you. And let me tell you, in our, in our culture, I could be like pouring out my life. I could be just like giving a disp- dispensation on like, man, my life. And I'm just in tears. It's like, hey, you want water? It's like, no, I want to punch you in the throat right now for interrupting me in the middle of that story. But here's, here's what happens. You come back and you feel so culture. And you feel so, oh my gosh, you guys, you just got, you guys just don't know. Here, here, here's what we know. A lot of us knew. You just assumed that you were better. And you went and experienced somebody else's world, somebody else's culture, somebody else's system, somebody else's society. And you liked it for the first time. You know why? Nothing wrong with you. Everybody does it. In fact, this is kind of the human condition. We all have filters that help us to feel empowered, help us to feel special by comparing ourselves by some social constructs to other folks. This is why if you're rich, you can look down on people who are poor. This is the exact same reason why if you're poor, you can look down at people who are rich because they were born that way and they were born into it and they just had all the advantage. It's not just like that in the world. It's like that in churches. All the traditional churches get it wrong. They're just so inauthentic and disingenuous, and they just go when they stand, and nobody actually means it. Meanwhile, everybody in the traditional churches looks at everybody in the other churches and says, well, you've only been around for about two years. We'll see you in 20. With your music and your guitars, guitars. It's the same thing. 
It ha- in fact, it exists within our church that we oftentimes pocket around people who are like us, who look like us, talk like us, act like us, dress like us, because we're more comfortable. And in some intrinsic ways, we have reasons why we are better than you. If you're different than me. And intellectually, we know this is wrong. You're smart people. You're educated people. You know that that's not right. But functionally, we live this out all the time. And I just wanted to to, to say all this. Because as Paul is going to explain what's going on with Peter, we need to realize, though we might not do it the exact same way that Peter did this, we have the exact same tendency that he had to position ourselves as better than other people. But I want to, in a second, show you how Paul addresses this, which is pretty foundational. So this is what happens. Chapter 2, verse 11, the book of Galatians. Paul just got done talking talking to some people about some stuff. So really informative context there. Verse 11. But when Cephas, being Peter... Came to Antioch. Now, the Bible does this again. It's confusing. He calls Cephas a lot of times, but that's Peter. Peter, by the way, was a really uh, influential guy. We're going to talk about this in a second. When Cephas came to, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he came condemned. Now, I like this because Paul is not passive-aggressive. Paul's just aggressive, you know? He's not like, oh, then I talked to his cousin, I talked to his aunt, and I talked to his you know, Bible study leader, and they all said, yeah, we think you ought to talk to him. He's like, no. I just talked to him, and I opposed him to his face because, and this was, this was big for the early church, because Peter was the man. you got to understand. Peter was the guy. Peter walked and talked with Jesus. Peter was the guy who in Acts chapter 1 and 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down, Peter stands up and gives a sermon and thousands of people get saved that day. Give their life, profess faith in Jesus that day. Peter was the guy who walked around with Jesus. Peter was the guy who when Jesus was walking on water day, all the, all the disciples were in this boat. They said, if that's really Jesus, Peter said, they call me out there and I'm going to walk on water. So Peter started walking on water. He drowned, which is kind of an interesting thing that happened. But this is Peter. Peter is the guy when Jesus stood up and said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, we believe that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah, that you are the son of the living God. He said, very good. On that statement, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter was the apostle of apostles. And Peter was wrong. And I am so glad because if Peter, the rock, Peter, the sermon giver, Peter can get stuff wrong, if Peter can have this same self-serving tendency, then maybe I don't feel so bad because I have the exact same tendency. That he does. So Paul says, Peter, Cephas, I was talking to him. I went to him and I posed him to his face. And this is why, verse 12, for certain men came from James. Or for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, the reason he says that, the reason he starts to explain this is a big deal, is because the Jewish people, again, thought they had a level of superiority because of their dietary laws. In the Old Testament, God said, if you were going to be clean... You need you to eat clean, and not in like avocados and spinach lettuce, but I need you to eat clean. You don't eat any pork, and they had a number of, of, of different dietary laws that they weren't allowed to eat things that they weren't allowed to touch, or else they would be unclean. Well, when Jesus came, Jesus, in his death on the cross, was essentially the fulfillment of all of those things that would make you unclean. That man and woman was no longer clean or unclean because of what they put into their body, but because of their faith and their hope and their belief in Jesus, the son of the living God who died on the cross. And so now everything was clean, which, pause, 
Is part of why it's, in, it's important to know that when you interpret the Old Testament, because there are, there's a difference between ceremonial laws, which made you clean and unclean, we're all clean through Jesus, and moral laws, whole different sermon, whole different day, but I digress. So, he said, Peter, Cephas, knew that it was okay to eat anything. And before James and some of the Jewish folk came around, Peter was eating with the Gentiles because there was no reason for him not to eat with the Gentiles because it wasn't sinful to him for him to eat with the Gentiles and do what the Gentiles were doing, eating what they were eating. But, but when they came, that being the, the, the Jewish Christians came, he drew back and separated from him, separated himself. In other words, he saw all these folks, and he knew what they thought. He knew what they felt. He knew that if he, they saw him eating with them, then they were going to think differently about him. He knew that they felt like, the Jewish Christians felt like, there was a sense of nationalistic superiority because of their historical, because of their ethnic and their theological background with God. They thought they were better. Peter knew that. What's interesting is so that that happens. Peter started to pull back, not eating with the Gentiles anymore. In fact, it's interesting, the very next phrase is because he, was, he feared the circumcision party. You know what that means? Isn't this true? Every time you project to feel better than somebody else, isn't it because deep down there's a fear and there's an insecurity that you're not? Isn't that true? The reason we project better is because we feel a need to substantiate the fact that we are. Because nobody wants to live with the idea that I'm not. And so I'm going to view the entire world through the filter of what validates and substantiates me because I'm fearful that I might not be good enough. So he continues on. And it had not just started when ended with Peter, it had spread beyond that. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So he sees this, and it's starting to catch on. I mean, all the Jewish folk are starting to see this, they're starting to not associate with the Gentile. Church division begins to happen. Even Barnabas, who would be like their, like their, their stud, this was the guy who, I mean, he, he was just, you know, he was the kind of the modern day, like, rock. I mean, everybody knew Barnabas. Barnabas was a solid, you know, sought after Jesus, church leader guy. And even Barnabas was led astray. Now, before we read this next part, let me just ask you, how would you approach this if you were Paul? What would your thought process be if you were Paul? If you were Paul, and if I were Paul, and if any of us were Paul, and we looked at this situation where all of a sudden we realize that someone that we know, someone that we love, someone that we care about is not only being led astray themselves and acting hypocritically themselves, but they're leading other people into that direction. It's interesting, too, because it wasn't that Peter thought. He feared. Peter knew what was right like we know it was right. But Peter acted differently, and, and Paul's going to say, and that's still sinful to know but then act. But what would you say? For most of us, we're looking at it, and you've got a friend, and they're, you know, you're a Christian, and you're super saved, and so you're going to talk to somebody about something which you should. 
And as you talk to them, it's, man, I know, you know, I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just, you know, I've been there too, and I've got some struggles, and I'm not perfect, but I've been seeing some stuff in your life, and I really think you need to stop, really think you need to quit, really think you need to start, really think you need to reassociate. For us, when we deal with things, when we, we deal with church conflict, when we deal with sin in the life of other believers, most of the time, we deal with the effect and not the cause. I want you to see what Paul says here. Because this is so intuitive into how Paul viewed the entirety of the Christian life. This is what Paul says when he says and he sees and he approaches him to his face. But when I saw their conduct was not in step or not in line with the truth of the gospel. He continues. He says, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth, the line of the gospel, I said to Cephas and before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Jew and not like a Jew, <laughs> let me say that again, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, here's what's interesting. As Paul says this, he says, now, here's the problem, but before I tell you what the problem is, before I tell Peter what the problem is, let me just give you a qualifier. Here was Peter's problem, that he wasn't living in line with the gospel. In other words, Paul could have said anything. In fact, the very next verse, Paul is going to clarify the gospel so that Peter knows he's living outside of the bounds of the gospel. But here's what Peter saw. Here's what Peter he understood once Paul told him. And here's what Paul wanted to communicate to Peter. Peter, it's not your behavior that I'm after. It's that you are living in misalignment with the gospel. Peter, not behavior modification. Peter, yeah, I mean, he could have come to him and said, Peter, you know, be honest, man. Uh, I, I love you. I care about you. I just want to pray for you. And I just want you to know I've seen other people follow you this way. But Peter, you're being a hypocritical racist. You're being a hypocritical nationalist. Paul says, Peter, you're not living out the gospel. Peter, your sinfulness is sinfulness. But the sin is not necessarily the behavior the sin is the misalignment of living in step and in line with the gospel. That's fascinating. Because for most of us, religion is, again, about behavior modification. But Paul would say, no, 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 Your sinfulness is not simply your behavior. Your sinfulness is not simply what you do and where you've been. It's a Peter. You're not living out the implications of the gospel. Because here's what the gospel says. That you're not better than anybody else. In fact, here's what the gospel says. None of us are good. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And when I think I'm better than you, in fact... When I think I'm better than you, even if you are the most immoral, atheistic, not that all atheistic people are immoral, that's not what I'm saying, but if you, know, if you are the most immoral, if you are the most, the opposite of what people would think about in holiness, I cannot project myself as better than you. I cannot look on you judgmentally because I am a sinner fundamentally incompatible with a holy God just like you are. And anything that I try to do to fill myself with self-worth outside of Jesus, no matter my background, no matter my education, 
location, no matter the cars I drive, the houses I live in, the clothes that I, that I have, no matter the wealth that we accumulate, no matter how smart you are or how dumb you are, how hardworking or how unhardworking of a person you are, we all try to fill ourselves with worth. And it's, in essence, we try to fill ourselves with significance by being our own savior, basically projecting that we are good enough. And Paul would say, man... That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you're not good enough. The gospel is that no one is good enough. The gospel is that only God is good enough and we only are good because God makes us good because he sent his son to die for us. That it is not my doing, it is his. He says, so I saw him and he was pretending like he was a Jew and he was pretending like he was a Gentile. Now he's going back to being a Jew. Verse 15, so we ourselves are Jews by birth. Now, this is great because he doesn't deny his heritage. He doesn't deny his reality. He doesn't deny he was from. He says, yeah, we ourselves are Jew by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, in other words, he doesn't, he isn't being derogatory towards the Gentiles. But the Jewish people had the background of the people of faith. The Jewish people had the law. The Jewish people had all of the things, all of the commandments, all of the Moses, all of the Isaacs, all of the Abrahams. The Jewish people had the covenantal promises of God. He says, yeah, so there was an advantage to our background that when, we, when anybody else would look at us, they would say, you know what? You are Jewish. You are advantage to the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have that background, didn't have that upbringing, didn't have that thought and lineage and history. But, verse 16, or yet, we know. In other words, he says, Peter, let's stop. Peter, you know this. That a person is not justified. A person is not made right by the works of the law. Peter, you know that it's nothing about what you did or who you are or where you're from that makes you better than anybody else. It's not... Well, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter, let me just tell you, man. The reason you think you're better than other people, the reason you're projecting, in fact, maybe even the reason that you don't even think you're better than people, but you just act like you're better than people, which is sinful too, is because you think it's because of who you are, who your background is, or what you do, or you know, what you've accomplished that makes you good. But Peter, we know that none of us are good because of what we've done. None of us stand before a holy God, blameless, because of what we've accomplished, because of our backgrounds, and because of our histories. Peter, the core tenet of the gospel is that we're all sinful. And so how in the world, Peter, can you project, can you think, can you act like you're better than anybody else? That we now are righteous, we are holy, we are sanctified because not of our works, but of our faith in God. See, here's the reality. If you and I were to sit down and you were going to tell, you know, we're going to talk and you've got some stuff going on in your life and you just kind of want to clear it up and you know, some thoughts and some places that you have been living outside of the boundaries of what you feel like God has called you to. Eventually, you know what it would come back to? Not let's change the behavior, but hey, let's just understand. You're living outside of the confines. You're living in misalignment with the gospel. 
You see, everything we do as Christians is an extension of our understanding of Jesus, his dwelling on planet Earth, his death on the cross for our sin and our salvation, his substitutionary that he came, took our place, died for us because we are sinful. His rescue of us because we needed rescuing. And then his now sanctification and salvation that we have with him because of what he did. You want to know why we're generous? It's not because we decided, hey, you know what? We're just all going to go serve a lot and help a lot and do some stuff for some good people because loving your neighbor is a good idea. Loving your neighbor is a good idea, but outside of God, then who cares? Love yourself. But with God, the understanding is honestly and frankly that I love people as a reflection of how much God inexplicably loved me. That I'm only going to love people that people deserve love. I'm not going to only love people who God would say, okay, you know, everybody else would say, okay, that person's done something for you, that person's done something for you, they can repay you. But I'm going to love people, I'm going to serve people, regardless of what they can do for me, because I could do nothing for God and God loved me, and as a reflection of God's love for me, I'm going to be compelled to love other people. We're generous because God was so generous for us. We're faithful to God because God was so faithful to us, and if he would give his only son for us and he has called me to do something to be somebody how could I not if he would be willing to give his one and only son for me and for myself I should if he would give everything for me I will do anything for him Paul in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 makes it so explicitly clear that in view of God's mercy in other words Paul who first 11 chapters of the of the, of the, of the book of Romans of the Bible not the Bible that's Genesis in the book of Romans has an extraordinarily complex in fact Galatians is like the foundation work for what would happen in the book of Romans in 11 chapters just tightly wounds the ideas and the intricacies of the gospel of grace and in chapter 12 verse 1 says and therefore in view of God's mercy therefore in view of all of that in view of God's salvific work therefore in view of God's mercy present your bodies as living sacrifices, in view of the fact that God gave everything to do, everything everything for you, everything with you, God gave everything when he gave his son, that we would, in response, present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, not because we're going to prove our salvation, not because we're going to prove our way to God, because he finishes that by saying, this is your reasonable or spiritual act of worship. When you realize God's mercy for you, when you realize God's love for you poured out and displayed on the cross, the only reasonable thing to do is to give your entire life back to him. In every place, in every area, in every arena. Not thinking we're better than because of where we are from. Not thinking we are better than because of who we are. Not thinking we're better better than because of any other reason. In fact, we're not better than. We're just forgiven because we've placed our faith and our hope and our trust in one who is greater than all of us. And if you're not a part of that community, if you're not part of the group that has placed their faith, their hope, and trust in Jesus, and that does, still doesn't mean I'm better than you. That just means, if anything, I love you more because I want to display for you, not shove down your throat a prepackaged idea and testimony, but because I want to show you The unending, unconditional love of God that was displayed for you and for me on the cross. 
The more we disagree, in fact, the more different we are. Perhaps the less that you can do for me as a Christian, the more I ought to love and serve you. Everything that we do as Christians comes back that the gospel is not the first step. The gospel is the entire staircase. The gospel is not one spoke on the wheel. It is the hub of the wheel in which, from which everything else emanates. Everything else comes into alignment in and from. is held in balance in and to. I don't know who you are, where you're from, but I know this. Our church, just like any other church, has every potential to have every sense of disunity as long as we think that we're good because of who we are, not who God is. I pray that there would be such a sense of unification that people who are nothing like each other, don't know each other, would join in, in, together in community, would join together in groups, would serve together, would eat together, would spend time together, that we would, in a sense, be unified because of who Jesus is, not because of my personal identity. And that as we live life together, we would constantly do what Peter did and Paul did, which is to call one another, not to change, not to be different, and not I'm so disappointed, but to live a life that's in line with the gospel. Live a life that's in line with the story of God's salvific work on planet Earth. And that we would give ourselves to that, which is reasonable as an act of worship because of what he's done for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that we get to spend time with you every day. God, thank you so much that you gave your son for us that we are not good because of who we are. They're not good because of what we've accomplished. We're not good because of our background, God. We're not good because of our, 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 our level of resources or our lack of resources. We're not good because of the color of our skin. God, we're not good because of our cultures. God, we're not good because of anything else except for you. And God, I pray if there's anything besides you that disunifies us. God, I pray there would be no disunification, but anything that, that divides us because of preference to try to justify ourselves, to try to make ourselves feel better, you would eradicate that from our lives. You would help us to understand that our lives daily are spent as the hub of the wheel of Jesus. Your salvific work here on planet Earth becomes central. We would know that better. That would, spur, that would spur us onto and that would compel us to be people who love, people who serve, people who follow, people who follow after you, Jesus. Unified together. For your sake and for your purpose. And God, I pray for anyone and everyone in here who perhaps walked in this morning thinking that they had to prove their self, prove their way, attend their way, Bible study their way, community group their way, behave their way into your good graces. I pray that they would have so deeply lodged inside of them the reality that while religion says Earn your way, and perhaps you'll be acceptable to God. God, you saw us in our unacceptableness and sent your son to die for us, to cover us, to forgive us, to wash us clean, 
that we would live in unity with you and with one another as we live in alignment with your gospel of grace, which is your son, our savior, Jesus. So unify us, help us to understand you more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.